This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's, it's good to be here for another week. Good to be here. <laughs> another week, another uh, another story to talk about. Uh, um, this Tonight's show is why I really like having Tony as my partner on this show, because he can dissect the difficult-to-understand uh, court cases and tell us why I'm not overblowing my reaction to the court cases. So I wanted to start with uh, Title Seven and the lack of clarity from my part on what the heck went on with that decision. Oh, you when think I'm you're the only one? That, you think the only one that has a lack of clarity? <laughs> I do not, but I, I was hoping you could give me some clarity. Um, Please. <laughs> other than it was an epic disaster, that apparently, you know. <laughs> One of the things, and there's usually articles about this, you know, every time there's a decision like this, which is why is it that Republicans slash conservative presidents can never seem to pick people who will adhere to the judicial philosophy that we believe they held going in, right? We, we, I don't know that they ever actually know, do they? They what? That's the problem? Well, I was reading something about Sandra Day O'Connor, and, and she was the first female nominated in and appointed the Supreme Court by Ronald Reagan. And she was questioned later. They said, you know, Reagan was was you know looked at as why did you nominate her? She really wasn't all that conservative, and especially on the term of abortion, she wasn't really a friend of the anti-abortion group that you say, said you represented. And she said, point blank, nobody ever asked me what my position was on abortion. They vetted her and never asked her that question. Well, Can you imagine a Democratic president or Democratic vetting process not asking questions like that to know exactly what the nominee would do? Well, again, a smart, a smart judge is never going to answer that question anyway. So you can True. ask. You can ask. And ask. they're going to say... I will apply the law and give deference to existing precedents, but they're never going to flatly say, I'm going to vote to overrule Roe v. Wade. Uh, they, I mean, again, they're, they're, anyone who has any level of intelligence and knows how those questions work is not going to put themselves in that box. I, I have a theory. It's very easy to understand okay. why. Sure. Hmm? Go ahead. I want to hear this. Well, it's very easy to understand why the the leftist the liberal justices always vote in lockstep particularly on these big cases that's because their philosophy is one of basically making public policy they they already know what the result needs to be because they're not constrained by the constitution they simply are going to impose what they believe their current version of cultural norms and morality is and then they work backwards and craft some opinion that you know provides a pretext for why this is following the law so that's why you never see any of them okay look at the four ruth bader ginsburg 
Kagan, Sotomayor, Breyer. There's never any question on these kind of cases where they're going to come down. They are, they are a lead pipe cinch, right? <laughs> Their axis never, no one ever goes off the reservation. Now, on the conservative side, and I shouldn't say, again, these are not good labels for jurists because it's more about originalism or textualism, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The problem, I think, for people who are looking for originalists and textualists is that these guys have very sort of quirky, slightly different views about what that means. They aren't looking for some outcome. I mean, that was one of the things that Scalia always said. He is not going into a case trying to figure out who should win. What he's <laughs> trying to figure out is, are we even permitted as a court to rule on this question? In other words, does the Constitution or does the statute before us even allow us? Is it is it contained within that document or should we say, no, thank you. This is best left to the legislative process. Okay. Now in this case, which incredibly was six to three, the yeah. court is ruling on whether title seven includes, and it's a reference to you shall not discriminate on the basis of sex. This was enacted in 1964. Okay. Title seven of the civil rights act. Somehow, Neil Gorsuch, along with John Roberts, although Roberts is becoming not really a surprise on this anymore, <laughs> somehow Neil Gorsuch, under the banner of so-called textualism, decided that what that word means is sexual orientation up to and including transgender orientation, right? So not only mm -hmm. does it encompass LGBT, it encompasses someone who's part of the trans community. In other words, it not only prohibits what any normal person understands as discrimination based on sex, it now somehow magically prohibits discrimination based on sexual identity and on transgenderism. Now, Chad, what would what do you think? We've talked about this, and I'm going to put you in the you're in the law school class. What do you think okay. Antonin Scalia? would have said when confronted with this case and this definition and what, it, what it should mean. What, what do you, what do you suspect that he would have done? So this was 1964 and I can't imagine anybody in Congress having defined sex as gender orientation in 1964, not even remotely considered it, thought about it would have even been part of the discussion. So if Anton Scalia was still alive and he was looking at this, he would have to say, what was, you say textualism, I say context around what was being talked about. There is no way, no how that that's contextually or textually uh, accurate. It, it, that's applying a 2020 filter on a law from 1964 that was in no way, shape or form attended to do what, what they're saying it's doing. It's yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine. So, the, the understanding, right? The ordinary understanding of that word, by the way, I would argue that the ordinary, ordinary understanding of that word in 2020 is still not sexual identity or orientation, right? Um, yeah, identity or orientation. So yes, the answer would have been very simple, which is if they had, first of all, back in 1964, these concepts really didn't exist. And so no one could have possibly fathomed that it would extend to that. And, and here's the thing. What happens then? Well, 
if someone thinks that that statute should extend to those concepts, guess who gets to do something? That would be Congress. And if, and by the way, they have repeatedly been given the opportunity and refused to amend this legislation to make it clear that it extends to things like LGBT rights, transgenderism. They haven't done it. So it is, it is astonishing to me, although increasingly, you know, sort of depressingly expected that somebody like Gorsuch looks at this and says, Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I think that this, this should clearly extend to these other things. And once again, you have the court now deciding this question for the entire country. Remember, this is now, this is now, according to this Supreme Court, a core civil right. Mm-hmm. Instead of allowing what the country's elected representatives should be doing, which is, you know what? If a whole bunch of people think that's what it should mean, you have a mechanism by which to do that. And you can call your legislator and you can protest and you can convince them that this is something that needs to be changed. And that's how the process should work. But now we've just shortcutted that. And I'll tell you what, in my view, that decision is going to have even more far reaching ramifications than Roe v. Wade in a lot of different ways. Um, in fact, in Justice Alito's really good and very scathing dissent, he he used the phrase. He said, "You know, uh, Gorsuch claims he doesn't. They never use each other's names, but the majority claims that this is a textualist analysis. But he said <laughs> it's pirate ship, meaning it's flying the flag of textualism, but it has absolutely nothing to do with it. And yeah. what they're doing is legislating, and now they have created. They have opened a Pandora's box." Like you cannot believe with this ruling. So let's talk about what has been opened up by this ruling. And it doesn't just stop at title seven. I think that's what you're alluding to. Um, I can predict there will be additional lawsuits that will work their way through the court system. But this effectively, in my opinion, makes title nine moot and obsolete. It cuts title nine. And what it also does is all of these, it's interesting because the people that are cheering this very loudly right now, well, they may not like it so much because one of the things it's going to do is all of these men, these biological males who have declared themselves to be women are now winning track meets and weightlifting titles. Well, guess what? The floodgates are open now. So any state that tries to say, Hey, you know what? We think biological females are the ones that should be competing against each other in all these sports. This case will now be cited as federal law that says you prevent Johnny, who's now Samantha from running, racing, jump, playing basketball, whatever it is. Um, you can't keep them out because the Supreme court has declared that that is discrimination on the basis of sex, not biological sex, but sexual identity. So that to me, the, the logical end point of this in those kind of cases is any man who decides that he's transitioning or just feels like a girl for a day, they get to do that. You, you will probably, unless there is some, again, some completely disingenuous way for the court to disavow this in that context, you could gut women's sports in the next decade. I, I, I don't see how 
I don't see how they survive, but this brings up the bathroom issue again. Right. That's the next thing. How are you going to keep a man, a biological man who identifies as a woman out of a woman's locker room and bathroom? Yeah. Not anymore. We're talking about men and women's locker rooms. It, It could go the other way. I would feel uncomfortable with a woman in a men's locker room. That's that's me. I, I'm not even oh, talking about feeling vulnerable. I just don't. I don't but want the that. General, but uh, I mean the va- the majority of the issues here is it's always going to be biological men who Unlikely. are going to be wanting access to girls and women's locker rooms, bathrooms, and yeah. now they've been handed the nuclear weapon because oh. the Supreme Court has spoken. Let, think about it this way. Think about if you had a group of four employees, okay? Mm-hmm. One is one is a heterosexual male, another is a heterosexual female. One is an LGBT male, and one is an LGBT female, okay? All right, so you've got two gay individuals, man and woman, and two heterosexual men and women. Now, mm-hmm. if someone is going to discriminate on the basis of sex, which two people get fired? Men. The two women. Oh, the two right? women. I, I would have said If you're engaged in sexism, you're firing <laughs> the two women, correct? Because that's yeah. their sex. Now, if you, uh-huh. this just sort of demonstrates the idiocy of claiming that this is the same thing as sexual identity. If you are engaged in discrimination against someone who is gay, LGBT, who gets fired? Do the two women get fired? No. No. No, the man who is LGBT and the woman who is LGBT get fired. Those are not the same results, are they? If you're engaged in sex discrimination, they're two different people than the LGBT issue. So this is a very simple way to understand that when someone claims that they're all, it's the same thing, it's not possible. It can't possibly be the same thing because under that, even that simple hypothetical, they're not the same individuals who are going to be terminated from employment because they're completely different categories. So based on churches, what do you think is going to happen now? I mean, this, like I said, this is a Pandora's box, public and private employers, religious schools, private schools, churches. This will now be the new crusade, right? The new frontier. The left is always looking for the next, the next step in their cultural revolution. And now they've got a Supreme court opinion that basically says, uh, you don't have a basis for keeping me out. I'm a trans woman. I'm a trans woman. I want to teach at your Christian school. Well, good luck Mm. with those cases. Yeah. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of places that cave because they, they can't afford to fight it and they're not gonna be able to fight this. And you mean, we saw what happened with masterpiece cake. That was a cake. That wasn't anything more than making a cake for somebody. Well, this is going to be far reaching. That was a cake where the individual who's baking the cake is asserting a first amendment. Right. Mm -hmm. This is now flipped the table where the plaintiff is now going to be able to say, I I I have a civil right under title seven that this is going to have to be enforced. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed by Gorsuch, extremely, but the reality is it would have been a five-four, because I don't think it. It just it just reinforces it again what you 
said at the top that we can't seem to get any of the issues from um, from the conservative side to stick with uh, conservative principles. And I, I read something about that yesterday. It was basically lockstep for progressives because they're trying to make law, but the conservatives are built on there's no real conservative mainstream. It's different pieces that are conservative. Uh, not everybody tends to be on the same plane. Well, again, and it's so you not, get this. not about conservatism. But, uh, it's about different. I don't know why there's so much on the other side. Huh? You what? Uh, go keep going. Keep going. No, I my theory about this is that this has to do with the the academic and cultural cultural environment that all these guys come out of. Okay. So for what I mean by that is you can look at somebody's jurisprudence, their history of how they've ruled, but the bottom line is that almost every one of these individuals comes out of the same very small uh, bubble in terms of their education, right? These are all Harvard Ivy league trained lawyers. They're all, they all know the same people, right? They're all in the same circles. And what is apparent to me is you almost have to have a very unique kind of mulishly stubborn personality, like a judge Thomas, right? Justice Thomas, uh, like of course Scalia. But I think that guys like Roberts and now apparently Gorsuch, they are very, very influenced by the cultural climate that they're in. Perhaps not even fully aware of how much they're influenced. Because again, you know, only a good person, Chad, would rule in this way, right? It's just fair. It's just fair. And see, what happens is that's not the point. That's right. how the four members of the liberal axis view this, which is we just need, uh, we need a good result here. Well, that's not your job. Your job is to determine, does this statute allow that result given its language? And if you're a judge that's doing your job, the answer has to be, no matter how much I think this would be a great leap forward for sexual identity and LGBT people, it's not our job to write a new law because that's essentially what you have to do. So we're not going to step in and we're going to say that that role belongs to the democratic process. But apparently these pressures from the peer groups that people like Roberts and Gorsuch are in are so profound that even guys like that who have apparently a very solid track record before they get onto the court, they're just, they're not willing to stick their neck out like a Scalia and say, we're just not going to do this. We're not going there because it's not legitimate in terms of what we are asked to do as a court. So on any normal day, that might be the lead and we could dwell on that indefinitely. But the court announced another decision today, which seems to me in the vein of, we just made something up that felt good because of peer pressure, because of societal pressure, we're going to make a decision that has no basis in previous law anywhere in this country from the entire existence. We're just going to make it up because this is what we think. And that's DACA. Yep. Uh, apparently, if a Democratic president makes an executive order, it's okay. So if a Republican president gives Congress the chance to do their job, which We've said over and over again, they can't seem to find a way to do their job, which is make legislation. Uh, 
Trump puts out his DACA order, and apparently the Supreme Court says, oh, no, 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 your executive order can't overrule his executive order because of, it just it's a hardship for those people who were promised something that's not codified into law anywhere. We're just going to make it up. Yep. And that was a five to four. Yep. And that's, of course, oh. Roberts again. Roberts is the swing vote on that. Um, it's even worse than that. What the court has basically ruled is that the president is required to viol- violate federal immigration law. That's, that is what their decision means. Because, yeah. look, Barack Obama repeatedly admitted he had no legal authority to implement DACA. It is contrary to existing federal immigration law. And what did Obama say? Well, if Congress won't act, then I will. And he readily acknowledged before he did it, I don't have the authority to do this. I can't unilaterally. Again, I'm not a one-man super legislator. So Obama goes ahead and does it because he's incredibly cynical and he knows he can get away with it. Trump takes the position, the correct position, that what Obama did is a violation of immigration law and rescinds it. And perversely, the United States Supreme Court has made the determination that something that was void and illegal at its inception cannot now be overturned by the next president. It's 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 actually like we're through the looking glass on this. It is incredible. And to your point, this whole idea of, well, it's hardship... That's totally irrelevant. Again, these are policy issues that are for Congress. If one guy can implement it illegally, you would think at a minimum that the judges would try to have some some consistency and say, okay, even though we don't like it, the one guy implemented it, the other guy can make it go away. That's the way executive orders work. What the court should say is it it was void at inception with what Obama did. And so the second executive order actually is legitimate because it's returning us to a condition where we're not acting lawlessly. They've literally flipped it on, flipped it on its head and said the lawless action stays and the legal action by the successor cannot stand. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, Roberts should, as Scalia once said about uh, the Obergefell decision, Roberts should hide his head in a bag. Just should be a incredible. The man should be ashamed. He has no shame, apparently, but he should be ashamed for for that ruling. I expect the four twits up there to do what they do. I expect somebody with a backbone and an actual understanding of law to actually rule the law, but he doesn't do that on a repeated basis. He commonly makes it up, punts it, has no clue what he's talking about. I don't know how this guy became a judge of any kind. I, I don't know what Bush was thinking when he nominated this guy. It makes no well, sense. Yeah, but that's, that's Monday morning quarterbacking in a way, because sure. again, that gets to my point. A lot of people thought he was going to be solid and he on key decisions. He's he has not been, he's the one that saved Obamacare. Yeah. And, and again, let, please, please understand. This is not me saying that I don't like the result, even though I don't like the result. It's not a results oriented analysis. My right. focus is, is this decision legitimate by virtue of what the court is evaluating? Okay. Result doesn't matter. This is what Scalia said all the time. In fact, Employment Division v. Smith, right? One of the most famous decisions that Scalia issued. Most people who think that decision, particularly for religious liberty, was a disaster. And I don't think it was, I don't think it was well reasoned, but nevertheless, 
this isn't me and me complaining about the fact that I don't like the result because I don't like DACA. What I'm saying is the court in reaching this result has used analysis and a rationale that is completely specious. It doesn't withstand any scrutiny. The prior president had no legal authority to implement that against existing federal immigration law. And this court, well, it shouldn't be surprising that the four of them found this way, but John Roberts has now said President Trump does not have the authority to issue an executive order that repeals a lawless act by the prior president. It's, it's, it's amazing. I, I don't, again, it is, I'm assuming that John Roberts has enough integrity to believe that he is engaged in, in sound legal analysis here, but someone needs, someone needs to, I don't know, take him out for a breath of fresh air or something because this is, this is incredible and this does not bode well. It's almost kind of like, you know, a lot of people who are focused on presidents because they're going to nominate judges. Remember all the screaming about Gorsuch, right? That yeah. well, the world was going to come to an end. Looks like he's actually going to be fairly, he's going to be the next Kennedy for these people, except we have two Kennedys. We have yeah. Roberts and Gorsuch now. Well, you say it was an un- unlawful act by Obama and, and I agree, but it was an executive order. It's not, even if it was a lawful act, by Obama. It was still an executive order, which should be able to be overturned by another executive order. That's the purpose of an yes. executive order. It's not a law. We now apparently have hierarchies of executive orders where well, yeah. the right side of history executive orders are valid, and then the bad orange man executive order is not valid. And that's that's the part I'm upset about. I, I don't like the end result because I think it I think it's going to make any decision on immigration or enforcement or whatever we get to eventually so much harder because you've just said bad orange man can't do what executive orders are have done since the beginning, since Washington, but Obama's can stand, even though it was contrary to all existing law in our country. Do you expect the people that you need, which is a bipartisan effort to actually come up with some immigration reform at some point in the future? No. When you've just said basically, well, your side can't ever win because we're we're right and you're wrong. No, I don't. Really? I, my um, my confidence in Congress's ability to accomplish anything, oh, and and I'm I'm happen. I'm including the Republicans, uh, particularly on immigration reform. They're all cowards. Nobody is willing. Now I shouldn't say they're all. I mean, there's there's people there like Ted Cruz. All right, there, there's others. They're not all that way. That's a that's an overgeneralization. But for the most part. They have been perfectly content to abdicate their responsibility and let the court essentially wade into this stuff because then they don't have to take the heat. Um, so, no, I don't expect them to do anything um, that makes any sense on immigration because the issue is too heated. It's it's one of those things that if you're if you're going to be bold, if you're going to stand on principle, you're likely not going to be reelected. So far easier to just sink into the background and leave it alone. A point worth making. Despite the fact that Barack Obama is viewed as Mr. Transformative President, and this was one of his key issues, his administration did nothing on on immigration for eight years until he, as a parting gift, decided to, you know, bequeath us DACA. But in terms of, you know, it's funny because Trump is always demonized about his position on immigration, and yet Obama, who was supposedly the friend of all of these activists, he never did a single thing while he was there. He talked a lot about it, 
but never actually did anything. Well, if you think about this, and and I I do have these conversations with people. If the Democrats ever actually solved anything they claim they're there to help, the the downtrodden, the put aside, whatever group you want to talk, the marginalized group of, of the day, they'd be out of power because they'd have solved the problem. So they always have to have a boogeyman, which is the opposite party. It's the it's the president, it's the Congress, it's the judicial. We got to pack the courts, we got to get rid of the electoral college because you're being held back. Yet, as we've seen in city after city and governorship after governorship, it's been decades in a lot of places since there's been a Republican in charge. And yet the utopia that they promised us has not happened in those places because it's not going to happen. It's a fantasy. It's a dream. But we keep being told, if you keep electing us, we're going to get you that. We're going to get you what we've promised you. But they never do. Now, I'm not saying the Republicans are perfect because they certainly are not. And they make a lot of promises. Every politician does because they're politicians. But they don't promise you utopia as a general rule. But just about every Democrat at any level promises utopia. If you just elect more Democrats, we're going to have utopia. They're in control of Congress. Under Obama, they had Congress and the Supreme Court and the presidency. And still, as you said, didn't pass any legislation about uh, immigration. They had they could. All they had to get through was a majority. That's all they needed. They could have done that, and they didn't do it. So this crap about they they were there to help you, the downtrodden, just like we're seeing right now with the pandering to uh, Antifa, this is no different. They think they're going to help you, but they got to have somebody on the other side because if they're stood up in the light of day compared to themselves, they fail every time. So they need somebody that looks worse or portrayed worse or the media condemns because they are orange or because they say certain things that uh, you know or, or our buddy writes something I, I i can't i read his articles this week and it sounds idiotic every time i read them i i can't fathom what's going through his head when he talks about the court evangelicals he, he put up some pablum about metax metaxas being uh racist i read what he wrote i read what the response was and i'm like i i don't see the the racist part. I guess it's my white privilege showing through, but I don't get it. I'm just not seeing it. But it just seemed to pander to the crowd. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, the, the the other thing about the Democratic Party is that not only not only do they need a, a perpetually oppressed group that they have to convince, uh, you know, there's racism or xenophobia or something that is preventing them from succeeding in order for them to, to gin up outrage and thus votes. But what they're proposing is the same thing they've been proposing for 80 years. In other words, you know, if only you implement the green new deal, like these ideas that they want implemented are the same ideas that were being peddled in 1980 and in 1960. It's almost as if, there's nobody on that side, particularly their constituents, that, that can recall, wait a minute, um, these people have been presenting us with this agenda for five, six, seven decades. It's not just that it's the same people, it's the same program over and over and over that has done nothing. It has done nothing but immiserate people. Um, I just saw some uh, 
something I'm not on Facebook, but you know, one of those memes and it was a list of all of the highest crime, um, cities in America listing, you know, the mayors and the top 10, every single one of them, democratic city council and mayor for, I think this, the shortest term was 45 years. So it's, it's almost incredible. And and you have to give them credit that they've somehow managed to hypnotize people into not asking or not noticing. Haven't you people been in charge this entire time? You people that are now (laughs) promising us the glorious new future. If only we give you more power and more money that you're going to take from other people, but you've been doing that for decades. Like, Oh no, that's right. It's Trump's fault. Okay. We get it. It's recent, but it's still Trump's fault. So just hitting some news highlights. I'm sure you, when you were watching CNN, as you always do, you noticed that Don Lemon called everyone in America a racist. He said, if you grew up in America, you're probably a racist. Meaning everybody watching his show must be a racist. Well, yeah. Seems to fit with the situation. I'm not sure why. There's Uh, nothing even surprising about that. I'm not surprised. It, it's 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 disgusting. It's disgusting. I found you know who I want to talk about. Who I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about Mike Gundy. Go ahead. You've been following this. Yep. Go ahead. So, uh, this is the head coach at Oklahoma State, and one of his players, I believe, his star running back. I forget what the guy's name is, Hubbard or something. Uh, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. But in any event. Uh, Mike Gundy committed the uh, cardinal sin of going on a fishing trip. So remember, this is not even part of his job. He was on vacation on a fishing trip, and he happened to be wearing a T-shirt. And you know what this T-shirt had on it, Chad? Of the audience. It had, and please, um, if this, you know, get the children out of the room because this is very disturbing. Uh, he had the acronym for a conservative news network, OAN. Um, this is, uh, I don't even, what does that stand for? Uh, it's, uh, one of, uh, it used to be on the, um, blaze TV and then they had a falling out, but it's, it's a, it's it's a openly conservative news network. Um, who of course is detested. It's kind of like, think of it as Fox news, JV, right? So he's wearing a t-shirt with those letters on it. Now, somehow his running back must have, you know, digging through the archives for, for crime think sees this shirt, sees this dreaded acronym and basically calls out Gundy and says, this is totally unacceptable. Um, if this, you know, if this is what's going on here, I'm I'm not going to be part of the team. Now, and of course, because this has now become depressing reality, Mike Gundy, uh, remember he had the rant about I'm a man, right? Remember a couple yeah. of years ago? Oh, yeah. press- well, he's not much of a man. And look, I don't, I'm not piling on him because this is what's going on now. It's sort of the terror. It's the social media terror. So he, of course, yet just like Drew Brees, and hundreds of others issues this groveling apology. And I'm not even sure what the guy's apologizing for you. You're canceling him. You're angry because of a t-shirt and the t-shirt has the name of a 
news network on it. And you know what's funny yeah. is I listen to people, of course, most sports media are even farther left than the regular media, which I mean, that's scary. But I, I listened to a clip by Paul Feinbaum. You know who Paul is? Yes. He's, he's a, uh, he's a very well-regarded uh, college football analyst on ESPN. He's a big SEC guy. And I saw him going on this one minute kind of diatribe about why has Mike Gundy not been fired? And not during a single moment, of that screed, did anyone even identify what specifically is the sin that has been committed here? In other words, explain why it is beyond the pale to be having to be wearing this shirt. No, no one even, you know what? No one even bothers to even explain it. You don't need to. All someone needs to say is, this is clearly outrageous. I'm an African American. I'm offended. Um, and and that's all that's all it's required. Aunt Jemima has been canceled. Aunt Jemima's canceled. Uncle Ben's rice has been canceled. Um, uh, cream of wheat guy. Is the cream yeah. of wheat guy? Right. So, but here, think about this though. What this really means is that if you, if for instance, would his, would his reaction, this running back, this epically sensitive running back, would his reaction have been any different if he was wearing a Fox News t-shirt? Probably not. Probably so, not. So what they're declaring is that essentially the views of half of the country, right? A news network, that's all it takes for you to be fired and considered some kind of racist troglodyte. Because, I mean, we've gotten to the point now where the left in this country have decided that anything, anything that we don't agree with, okay, this isn't even, this isn't, this isn't even edgy. It's not inflammatory. It's nothing. It's a t-shirt with the acronyms of a news organization on it. And that alone is sufficient to spark outrage and doesn't even need to be justified about what we're outraged about. Somebody's upset. Uh, and that's all, that's all that's required. Did you see that in Boston, the mayor of Boston, Massachusetts is saying that he will consider which statue do you think they're going after? I don't know. Tell me Abraham Lincoln. Abraham oh, Lincoln is probably. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a statue in Boston, which celebrates, celebrates the emancipation proclamation. It has, it's a statue of Lincoln with an African-American and the African-American Lincoln has his arm upraised. I think the African-American is sort of kneeling. Like Lincoln is saying like rise. Okay. Well, that's problematic because the African-American is on his knees. So we want to eliminate the statue of the president who ended slavery in this country for and who basically fought the civil war in terms of he was the leader of the country that brought us to the point where hundreds of thousands of Americans died fighting to end slavery. If there is one president in history that you would think would be immune from canceling, it would be him. But no, no, he's problematic as well. Um, we're in the midst of some kind of mass hysteria psychotic break with reality and the thing is though that what these people see uh because they're totalitarians is everywhere they turn and scream and point at the witches everyone is basically saying either i admit i'm a witch or the people that are should be supporting <laughs> yeah. them are saying i'm at the stake and until somebody has the guts to say basically go pound sand with your insanity I don't, I don't really care whether you're upset by my T-shirt that has a news network on it. This is going to continue. This, this is going to continue, and it's going to escalate. So 
I found this article um, on white privilege and one of our listeners kind of jokes with us about white privilege and we kind of joke a little bit, but this is a 57 ways you, and I'm not going to read them all, but 57 ways you have white privilege as a parent. Now, Tony, you're a parent. I'm a parent. Uh, I want to read some of these. I want to get your reaction to what these authors are claiming because I, I find it a little bit silly. Uh, when the family structure is most common for our race is seen in the norm and the other family structures are pathologicalized, we have privilege. So when you have a mommy and a daddy at home and somebody else doesn't have a mommy and a daddy at the home, we have privilege. It's not okay. victim mentality. Let's go with that. Uh, when white parents go to our regular prenatal checkups without acknowledging that many black women cannot access healthcare in the same way that we do and die at a higher rate during pregnancy because of it, we have privilege. So when your wife was going to get prenatal testing and checkups, you didn't acknowledge that you had a privilege they didn't have. Now, I don't know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to say, well, I'm not supposed to get prenatal checkups because you can't. Is that what I'm told? I don't know. Um, when white parents give birth that understand how the birthing process is deadly for black women and black babies, we have privilege. Wait, what? When white parents give birth without understanding how the birthing process is deadly for black women and black babies, we have privilege. So if oh, you don't you know understand how it's deadly for them, they can't I, possibly irony are they talking about planned parenthood because that's definitely deadly for babies and it's most deadly for american babies but i'm pretty sure that we're not allowed to talk about that because i'm all about yeah. talking about the deadly effects of <laughs> a birthing experience uh when you're going to an abortion mill but i don't really think that's what they were getting at no i don't think so either when over here uh when white parents breastfeed at higher rates than black women do we have privilege. How do they even know that? Well, I don't know. I'm sure there's some, some listing somewhere well, that tells again, you how many. Some, I'm trying to understand this. Be. So there is some oppressive force that prevents black women from breastfeeding. I mean, I'm not up to date on. It must the be an educational theory. gap. That's all I can think. It's an educational gap of some sort. And that's what they're saying. Black women don't understand you're supposed to breastfeed. I find that hard to believe, but. You know, the other thing is, again, somebody who, uh, as someone who is not nearly woke enough, a lot of these just to, to me, I don't know, Chad, they sound incredibly, um, I'm not going to use the R word, but it seems like we're engaging in a lot of stereotyping about black people and what they're not capable of doing. I think you are correct. Here's one I love because I don't think this is even remotely accurate. When our children gets a scrape and we can easily find band-aids that match their skin tone, we have privilege. I've I've heard that one before. Well, here's Um, the thing. My daughter doesn't get the tan or off yellow. She gets pictures and she gets unicorns. That doesn't match her skin tone either. So, well, you know, this, this is, I mean, Chad, you and I both remember growing up the the major uh bullying related to non-skin tone bandages that went on 
at our schools, right? It was like Lord of the Flies. I mean, this is a major, oh, yeah. this is a major problem. I, I, I was in fistfights multiple times <laughs> over the, the non-skin tone bandage thing. So you've I seen this. Up and it wasn't really real, but actually do some kind of mini series on this. When white parents are walking on the street, our child is less likely to get hit by a car and less likely to experience extensive injuries because we have privilege. Am Again, I to assume like, that if you're wait, black wait, trying to hit is you? There, are they citing to, is this nope. citing to Dr. Nope. Seuss? What, what, is the, <laughs> what is the alleged uh, source of these claims? Particularly there the one none. that said, okay, the first one is dubious enough that you're more likely to get hit by a car. But I really like the next one, which is, oh, and the injuries are likely to be less, less severe. What? <laughs> what does what, that has mean? Has anyone started this? Really? Uh, I've never heard that. I'd be like, okay. Uh, wait, let me see here. When white parents share resources and information about schools that black parents don't have the time to or find it difficult to access, we're perpetuating systemic racism. Again, Again, I'm going to need more information about why they don't have the time. That seems like something completely within their control. And then also, why is it they don't have access? I'm, I'm not I sure. No, I, I don't oh, and know. By the way, the, next core, the related question to that would be, and I assume, Mr. Uh, white Privilege Identifier, that therefore you are all in favor of school choice because- yeah. <laughs> that would allow some of these people that you've identified as not having access to things. Well, they could escape those failing schools, but no, 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 no. Apparently that also is not permitted. I, I, I'm not sure why other than something that rhymes with teachers unions. <laughs> when our child can fully participate in a school project to trace their family name and ancestry, we have privilege. I can't trace mine back past my great grandparents. I, and, I don't know about anybody else. I'm sure those people can trace it back to the and Mayflower. And again, why is it? Why is it they can't trace it? Um, let me think. Yeah, I think we know the answer to that. It. It. I don't know, man. This is crazy. Uh, when the parents have a spare device and a good internet connection to participate in remote learning while schools are closed, we have privilege. I'm not well, discounting that privilege may exist, but what do we? So I'm supposed to not use the spare device or not have internet connection because somebody else doesn't. But notice this is these complaints as absurd as they are. Um, this, why is this supposedly about race? This strikes me that it's about class. Okay. I mean, if we're going to have this conversation, in other words, are they suggesting that the only people who are poor in America are African-American? It sure sounds like it. Because well, all of these no. things about lack of access to this and lack of access to that, which does exist, that cuts across all racial lines. Are they really suggesting, yes, as Joe Biden once did, that poor is synonymous with African-American? Apparently they are. I, so we just recently moved um, right as the COVID-19 was hitting, we moved out of a school district. It was more rural than those around it and predominantly white, not exclusively, but predominantly white. They could not require uh, the schooling for the kids because they couldn't guarantee that every kid had access to the internet 
or a device. They were giving out devices, but if you didn't have an internet connection at home, you couldn't get on the sites. So they could not require it. That was a predominantly, and when I say predominantly, I mean 98% white. Not by, we weren't, there were a couple um, different race children, but it was predominantly white. Uh, or, so I'm to believe that that is uniquely different than anywhere else because every school I heard about around us had the same issue. They could not guarantee that they had all access. Now, maybe yours did. I don't know. We well, never really I, talked about it. Can you, can you have white privilege? Is there a special kind of white privilege that relates to other white people? I guess not. Well, you can have socioeconomic privilege and therefore you're bad because, and this is what, this is the part that always has bothered me about this. It's not white privilege. If it's not white privilege, it's socioeconomic privilege. It's, You've got something I don't have. Therefore, you're bad because you, I don't have it. That's the coveting thing from the Ten Commandments. If you don't have it, that doesn't mean I shouldn't have it because you can't have it. You know, if, if, I, if I apply myself and I get a, get a degree and I, I work my way up in a company and you decide I'm going to smoke pot every weekend, play video games, and work a, a menial labor job because I just can't seem to hold on to anything, and you don't have any money, is that my fault? Yes. Or is that because you just didn't apply yourself? Now, there are places where you are disadvantaged. You don't get the opportunity to sure. go to college because you need to make money or you're, you're, you know, something happens in your family. I understand that. But being poor isn't necessarily always a choice, but sometimes it's a choice of motivation. And even trying to want to be well-to-do is a motivation thing that you may or may not ascribe to. Not everybody gets to be a Hollywood star with millions of dollars for a movie. It, I'm sorry. That's not how the world works. And if you think they should not have their mansion and you should have their mansion because you want it, well, that's not reality. And I think we're teaching a generation of children that it's okay to covet everything else everybody else has. And with the rioting going on, you should just burn it down if you can't have it because well, they shouldn't have it either. By the way, the uh, the red thought crime meter behind you has now uh, the glass has shattered, and you are being reported yes to the to the Ministry of uh, Approved Thoughts. They will the stormtroopers will be here momentarily, but this is the point: is that no one denies the fact that there are people who have a variety of challenges, uh, who you know grew up in circumstances that were horrible. Uh, you and I, for the most part. Uh, I don't know everything about your childhood, but you know, I can say, and look, we were actually poor when I, when I was younger, uh, but we always had food. We did not grow up in a crime infested, uh, area, right? I, mean, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about getting attacked on the way to school. And so sure, there are people that sh we should be grateful. We should be thankful, uh, to God that we are born in a place, first of all, in this country, as opposed to being born in almost anywhere else in the world where we enjoy the highest standard of living, even the poorest among us who have all of these challenges and they're, it's true. They do. Uh, but you, would you rather be in the United States with these challenges or somewhere like, I don't know, various places in the mid East Africa, South America. Okay. We could go through the list. So you, you've won the lottery in some respects just by being born at this time in this place in America. Doesn't mean your life is perfect. Doesn't mean you don't have hardships. No. Of course that no. exists. But your point is well taken, which is what people are being taught is that any disparity, 
any disparity in success and in income is due only to one thing. It has nothing to do with your, you have no responsibility for it. You have no moral agency. It's all someone else's fault because you're a victim and they are an oppressor. And therefore you're entitled to take what they have because everything that they do have is, is ill gotten. It is, it is, it is on the back of racism or greed or capital, you know, exploitative capitalism. And that's, that's what a generation or multiple generations of kids are learning. And that's why you see our streets in flames, uh, because of this poisonous mentality that has been promulgated, uh, for the last 30 or 40 years in most of our schools. And that's the part that I am again infuriated by you you commonly read a story here and not commonly you'll often hear different stories about how somebody died with millions of dollars you go how'd they accumulate that well they invested they saved and they worked the job for 45 years and they put away they didn't go buy frivolous things we're of a generation we're of a culture that says if i want it i should be able to have it if I, i i can't afford it but i should have it i should not plan for the future i should not tried to prepare my family, I should just go buy that new truck or that new TV or whatever it is. I should, I know people who say, you know what? I worked all my life. I'm going to go take vacation after vacation and not think about the consequences of now I have no money to retire on because I spent all my money on a vacation or I put it on a motorhome. or you make decisions. I, I tell my daughter this all the time. You know, you can't be a victim. If you're a victim, that's on you because you allow yourself to be a victim. You are responsible 100% for how you react and how you act, period. You, somebody else can be mean to you. Somebody else can mistreat you. Somebody else can not give you the, what you think is a fair advantage. But at the end of the day, how you react and what you do is all on you. Now, you might have those circumstances where you're not, you don't get the opportunity somebody else gets. Somebody will always be smarter, faster, prettier, hand, more handsome, something than you. I guarantee it. Nobody is all those things at once. So what do you do with what you've got? What God gave you a well, set of skills and a set of abilities. You they will, they will be that way until we have the handicapper general. Um, sure. that's, that's a reference to, I, uh, yep. we talked uh, about Harrison Bergeron. If you haven't read Harrison Bergeron, it's a short story, I think by yep. Kurt Vonnegut, um, go read it because that's, that's exactly what this is about, which is, um, a future in which the people that have more, well, they have to be punished because everyone needs to be equal. And so um, the handicapper general, I think it's Diana Moon Glompers or Glampers, uh, she is tasked with making sure that the people that have more uh, by way of physical gifts and attractiveness and money, they're all made equal with everyone else. And, and, and it's a wonderful society to live in. So, oh, yeah. uh, take, take the 20 minutes to find Harrison Bergeron and read it, uh, because it's, uh, it's actually a pretty apt critique right now of the mindset of a disturbingly large portion of our society. Yes. Yes, it is. So I want to, I want to end tonight on some sports talk. Um, Looks like baseball might be coming back into an abbreviated session, possibly at some point. I guess if you're a diehard baseball fan, you care about that. But 60 games versus 162, uh, we're, we're worrying about millionaires making less because they're playing less. NHL is coming back for the playoff stretch, sort of. 
the NBA is going to play all at once and play a couple leading games and then have their playoff tournament. What we don't know about college football, the NFL claims are going to get going pretty close to normal. How do you feel about sports right now? There hasn't been, I mean, golf. You know what? Come back. I don't really care. I, I I don't now. First of all, and you know, I'm I'm a sports guy, but in terms of I I enjoy watching almost any sport, but I couldn't care less if baseball comes back. Correct. Really couldn't. Not everybody listening to does, but I do. Um. I really don't care whether the NBA comes back. Ooh. Uh, I think, I think the one sport that I will, it's not so much that I've been missing it, but I like the idea is the NFL I, of all the sports right now. I like watching the NFL the most. Uh, so that is something that I will enjoy and, and we'll start watching again, but hockey, ba- baseball, NBA, I just uh, yawn. I don't, doesn't really matter to me. I feel as though, and I, Diehards of those sports are probably going to scream at us, but I feel as though for hockey and basketball, it's almost July. It's at almost this point, It's almost July now, and you yeah. haven't finished the season. I've forgotten to care because we've already missed it. Uh, if you want to start up next year, great. If you didn't crown a champion, I don't really care. My team wasn't going to win if they, I mean, I'm a Penguins fan. I guess they have a legitimate shot, but if they don't have a champion, I really don't care. Um, basketball outside of the diehard fans. Can you tell me what the rankings were? Can you tell me who the top eight teams were in each league? I, well, can't. I probably could, but again, could I, name just, them, but... I think the season, uh, over. as you said, the, the, whatever, whatever truncated season is eventually put into place. I think there's going to, there's going to be an asterisk, right? It's just, sure. it's strange. It, it's um, you know, I think LeBron certainly wants to be back. A lot of people want LeBron to be back because one of the driving narratives is, you know, LeBron needs to catch Jordan and this is his chance with the Lakers. And so I think there's a lot of people that want him to have that opportunity, but you know, honestly, and, and maybe this shouldn't matter, but because the NBA has become so increasingly woke with, you know, they're the league that is just the most strident with all that stuff. Good for them. Um, I just, first of all, I really haven't been that interested in the NBA other than the playoffs. Okay. My, my usual routine for the last 10 years has been, I pay attention to the standings. I watch almost no regular season games. And then as the playoffs get deeper into the playoffs, let's say, you know, the final four teams, uh, in each conference, I, I then try to watch most of those series. Okay. I don't know whether, like, I don't really care who wins. I don't have any team that I'm really rooting for. Um, if you, in fact, I'm thinking right now, who, who would I root for to win the NBA title? Probably the Sixers just because, you know, they're kind of a dark horse. They've sure. got interesting characters, Joel Embiid, but there is no team that I really care. If you told me, you know, any one of eight teams win the NBA title, it'd be like, okay, great. I mean, it does, doesn't really matter to me. Uh, baseball well, to me has been, and I think this is true nationally, it is now clearly the third most popular major sport. The NFL, of course, is the just it, on another plateau in terms of domination yeah. of the media landscape. Basketball, I think, is 
by ratings, more popular, although it's been hemorrhaging even before COVID. And then baseball has just become, you know, it's got a lot of problems. The game is just not attuned to the current, uh, eight, you know, ADHD culture. It takes too long. Uh, who could you, who do you think the average fan could name as let's say name the five best players in major league baseball to someone on the street. How many do you, how many names do you think it could come up with if you excluded their hometown team? If you're an average fan or you, you know about baseball, you talk about somebody who catches the game occasionally or somebody just, who just watches. Okay. Really not somebody play. that's like, you know, living in a cave, just an average person who is generally aware of sports. Do you think they could name even three prominent baseball players? I don't think you name three prominent baseball players not on the team that they follow. If they follow, they might at get all. they might get Mike Trout. Okay, Maybe. after Mike Trout, I don't think most people could come up with another name. I, I would maybe I would not Bryce Harper. I'm thinking of the if guys in the East Coast. Of, Bryce Harper. If you're Mike Trout on the West Coast, there we go. <laughs> you named them. West Coast Mike Trout, East Coast uh, Bryce Harper. That's it. That's it. So. You know, baseball has its own problems and this spat between millionaires and billionaires over what amounts to peanuts, they're they're basically they're killing themselves. That's that's my in my opinion about this whole thing. They keep voting, they keep complaining, they keep saying, I'm not gonna pay play for that. I'm not gonna I guess I'm just the average player at the the minimum salary doesn't last very long and doesn't get paid that much. So we're they well, one of the proposals was to take some of the money from the top and give it to the bottom. Because remember, no fans, no gate revenue, no concessions, no parking. But somehow the players think they should get the same amount of pay. You know, and it's reduced season, so they're going to get less from the TV contract. I, I think it's just it's ridiculous that the players expect to get paid the full amount or even a prorated amount when the revenue portion is smaller by a large amount. Now I don't, I don't make most of their money from gate concession concessions and parking, but they make something, you know, they make something off of that or they wouldn't do it. So I, I don't, I, I've been on the record before. If baseball never came back, I wouldn't care. It, it would mean nothing to me. And I know that's not how everybody feels. That's how I feel. The NBA. I feel like the season's over. Why don't you just get ready for next year? I really don't care at this point. Same with the NHL. It's it's too far past. It's like saying we're going to play March Madness in July. Really? Well, it's it'll the same be thing. it'll be interesting to see what kind of ratings uh, any of these sort of truncated hybrid seasons do well. get. Hmm? Don't have anything else. I think they'll do well. But here's the problem: I'm not sure they're going to do well. I know the I, NFL will do well. It's summer. They're coming back in the summer. Now, I know baseball traditionally played in the summer, but I don't think the ratings in the summer on a Tuesday night game is all that great. It's okay, but you had to put something on. Playoffs, you get a little bit more. I don't think the NBA is going to draw like they would have in April or May. I really think you'll have less people watching because they'll have other things to do. As things well, open back up. I think you're going to have an initial, out. you will have an initial sure. surge because it's been gone. Now right. it's back. It's sort of the, let's see what, you know, see what's going to unfold. But I think overall the, the NBA was already, 
um, in terms of its ratings, they were in a slump. And I don't think, I don't think COVID has helped. And right. I, and again, I just think there's not as many people who you can claim that LeBron James is kind of this iconic star, but there's been nobody since Jordan who could carry the league like that. And I just don't think that he is a, I mean, he's clearly a famous guy who has a lot of fans. Don't get me wrong, sure. but he does not, he does not carry the same cultural cachet, uh, the same sort of magnetism, the same admiration, the same ability to penetrate people who are not normally sports fans that Jordan did. So when you've got that guy as your halo product, so to speak, um, yeah. I don't, I don't think he can do it all by himself. And that's, you know, they've got other players that people, you know, people like we go through, you know, Steph Curry and the rest of them. But um, I'll just be interested to see from beginning to end what the ratings look like for each of these seasons. And I don't think they're going to be great other than the NFL. The NFL is a juggernaut. It's unstoppable. I have a feeling its ratings will be even higher because it's the one sport that everyone seems to have been craving. So the NFL is impervious to this. So just the thing about LeBron, I don't think it's LeBron's fault. He's not Michael Jordan. And I think it's unfair sometimes to now. I think he does it himself, but I think it's unfair to say, why aren't you more? World I'm not putting changing. that on him. I'm just making no, an know, observation. I, but I think that, other people are. No, but I'm making an observation that because a lot of people will argue that he's, you know, he's essentially the same guy. He is the, he's the evolutionary leap. And, and my position is, he just can't draw eyeballs. Right. And, and again, you're right. It's anyway. not a criticism of him because nobody else could. Right. It's not his fault that he's not Jordan. He's not Jordan. Nobody else is either. And I think he, he is phenomenally talented and has been throughout his career, but he, there's something of his charisma is not the same. It's just not, maybe it's the era. Maybe it's the person, but that's not his fault. I don't, I don't blame him, but, Back to the NFL. Roger Goodell reverses course on the Colin Kaepernick type of thing, the kneeling. More and more players come out and say they're going to kneel. Are you sure the NFL is not going to be hurt by that? Well, I mean, that's a good point. We'll have to see how much of this protest theater goes on. Um, They, if it goes on and becomes prominent in every game, I do think they will, they will suffer. Uh, their fan base is, this is a largely, not all, because it's such a massive sport, but it is a largely conservative, blue-collar, patriotic fan base who don't like these kind of antics. And uh, despite the fact that Drew Brees had to throw himself on the uh, the pyre for saying something that was completely legitimate, not controversial in the least, the the more of these antics that you see, I do think that they, you're right, they will take a hit for that. Um, people, particularly now, when people have been starved for anything, right, their normalcy, just their entertainment, and if now that is infected again with all of this political grandstanding, it's going to leave people very, I think, angry. It's like, I, we don't want to see this from you. We don't, right. we don't. We don't want to see it. And guess what? Regardless of whether or not a lot of people don't think 
uh, or claim that it's not disrespectful. There's millions and millions of Americans who view it as disrespectful to the flag. And remember, I'm reliably informed, Chad, that the only <laughs> thing that matters is whether people are offended. So yeah. <laughs> there's millions of people who are offended. It's interesting. I'm not sure why people are pushing back on that because they're saying, well, no, it's not. Well, since when did that become the standard? I thought we were to accept everyone's offense, no matter how reasonable, it doesn't even matter. It's that's their truth. That's their grievance. And so there are many, many people who don't like the kneeling. And I think you're right. It could hurt their bottom line. I grow weary of the, I'm going to kneel. I'm going to tear down a statue. I don't care about the statues, tear them down, put them. I don't care. It's a statue. It's a piece of concrete and steel. I, I really don't care. Uh, renaming places. Well, you John know what? C. I do care Trump. only because it's not so much about the statues. I care because that is public property, right? I don't um, want to mob. You don't, you don't get to vandalize. And so you should be, all of those people should be arrested. They should be, they should be put in jail. Yeah. Okay. It's not I, so much about, it's like this idea that it's okay to get a mob and just drag oh, down yeah. public statues, whenever you want is ridiculous. It's lawlessness. And I, I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying if, if you vote and you want to take a statue down, I don't care, but yeah, don't, don't mob throw a rope around it and pull it down. That's not how things are done. Uh, this is not the Soviet union at the fall of communism. I, I just get, overly weary of the wokeness of everybody around me and how they're trying to come out with, I'm more woke than you. Just listen to me. I'm more woke. I, I don't want to hear it. I don't hear what Greg Popovich has to say ever. I never want to hear Greg Popovich talk, just coach and do your, do your coaching. Uh, I just don't care. He's now spouting off about the NFL of which he knows nothing. Yeah. So I'm not sure why he it matters what he thinks, but apparently it's newsworthy. Well, and I, I have know. I have a lot of admiration for Steve Kerr as a player and a coach, but I don't want to hear from him anymore either, particularly because he was never reticent to express his left wing views, except when it came to China. And yeah. then for for some guy who is incredibly intelligent to say, you know, <laughs> I got to do a little bit more research about that complicated issue. So I think, Steve, you should just keep researching. Just yeah. Keep researching, keep it to yourself, perhaps prepare a thesis, um, and then present that uh, to Adam Silver sometime later in the season. But <laughs> let's not hear any more of your pontification about all of the great moral conundrums that we are faced with today. I think that's been my take from the whole point. I don't watch a sport for political purposes. I don't, I don't want to hear about your politics. I just want you to play the sport. And I don't want you to kneel. If you don't want to come out and that their league's okay with it, I guess that's fine. I just want to watch the sport. I don't want to see it publicized. I don't want to see it on TV showing well, your protest. I don't, I mean, I don't care. Band. They can do what they want, but they have to recognize that there's going to be a backlash. And that backlash yeah. is just as legitimate as their protest. See, that's the thing that they don't like. For some reason, they right. want the right to tell people, you have no right to be offended by this. No, you guys have set the rules of the game. Um, yep. there's a lot of people that are offended by it. So yep. make your decision, go ahead and kneel. And then people are going to criticize you for it. Man up, get some thicker skin and deal with it. Well, we don't want to have dialogue in this country. We're going to have monologues where you tell me what I'm supposed to think and I'm supposed to accept it. I had this, I keep bringing up my daughter, but I had this conversation. She said, you're not listening to me. And I said, but I am, I heard every word you said, I can repeat it back to you. 
I just don't agree with you. That doesn't mean I wasn't listening. It means I didn't agree. And that's a totally different discussion, but I'm allowed to have my opinion. If you're allowed to have your opinion, then I am allowed to have, you're not allowed to have your opinion though. In fact, don't you realize as they like to say, silence is violence. So we've gone from, it's not even that you're not allowed to disagree. You must affirmatively state your agreement. You can't even remain silent. Your silence is hurting people, Chad. That's, that's what I've been told. But I said to somebody today, I said, you know, your disagreement with me doesn't make you right. It just means you disagree with me. My, my disagreeing with you doesn't make me right. But some, some people in this country, a lot of people right now think that I have the passion and the conviction of what I believe. So therefore I'm right. And you're wrong. We could both be wrong. We could both be right. But your, your passion doesn't change the facts just because you have passion. They're still yes. not lining up for me. So I'm, I'm out hey, on next that. week or whatever yes. next show. I want to talk about, uh, the cop in Atlanta. Oh, Yes. I didn't bring it up because I wanted to hear if some more stuff came out, but oh yeah, what but I that's, have um, read is so we'll, we'll we'll add that to the uh, the queue and then anything okay. else that um, that you okay. decide is of interest. Okay, <laughs> hopefully the next time we record, I will be in my new studio. Oh, cross your fingers. Um, we'll see. Um, I got to see if I can get it ready before our next um, show. It might be the show after that, but it's coming very soon. So I will not be in a new studio. You'll be in the same studio with the teacher and the stars and the plants. That's right. Okay. That's the same backdrop. Same backdrop, same back person. (laughs) Okay. uh, Thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.